Hello and a good morning and welcome to Holy Baptist Church Online. It's really great to have you with us and a particular warm welcome to those who are meeting physically at the Baptist Church. I'm Neil and this is Angie and um, we're joined um, by Robin, Helen and Noah. Morning. Morning. Say hi. Good boy. And more from Robin and Helen in a minute. But as usual, we're going to do our top five. And this week, we'd like you to type into the comments section, what is your favourite cake? So favourite um, cake, and um, we'll see, um, go around the room here. Um, mine is probably, oh, I think, lemon drizzle cake, I think would be um, my first choice. You guys? For me, it's got to be a Victoria sandwich, but only if it's made by Doreen Wade's Fair Hands.
eight to nine. Well done on learning those. I had to learn memory verses as a child and I still remember some of them uh, now, which is great. So this week's memory verse, we're bringing it to you in a slightly different format. Uh, so here it is, here's this week's memory verse. Your lamp light my feet verse is my some word a on pass 105 or a 119 now i'm not sure that's quite right somehow i think our video editors had a bit of an off day so the question is can you actually put those words into the right order and get the right memory verse we might just let you let you know later on but before all that, over to Helen and Robbie. Thank you. So let's grab some instruments or some biscuit and uh, let's sing and let's worship that actually no matter where we are, actually God's kingdom and God's church is no matter where we are. And so as we can build our churches wherever we are, even though we're scattered. So let's sing about God coming and ruling and reigning uh, in our hearts, no matter where we may be. Church. 
sorry. I was being fed biscuit and things like that. Um, yeah, so it's really encouraging that actually no matter where we are, that God can build uh, our kingdom, his kingdom, not definitely not our kingdom. So I've got biscuits stuck in my throat. I'm <laughs> managing to inhale that. Um, and actually, again, in this time where we're all over the place, and we're not quite sure, some of us, um, you know, maybe enjoying time at home, some of us maybe hating it. For some of us, this may be a time of plenty. It's maybe a time where we're managing to enjoy uh, time with family and friends. But similarly, it may be a time where we're struggling and we're in the middle of nowhere and it feels like we're in a desert place. But actually, it's still really important at this point to say, blessed is God's name, um, because everything that we have comes from him. Um, and this song that we're going to sing now uh, says, actually, everything comes from him. And actually, he's the one who gives and the one who takes away. Um, no matter when the land is plentiful or we're in the desert place or the sun shining down on us or the roads marked with suffering, um, still, we need to turn back and praise God uh, for everything that he's done and everything he's going to do. So let's sing.
you to Robin, Helen and Noah. And um, let's see if you got that memory verse right. This is how it should have gone. Psalm 119. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet. A light on my path. So that's how it really goes. Thank you to everyone who helped put that together. Um, so do send in your memory verse, preferably in the right order, to join.in at hawleybaptist.org.uk. So it's goodbye from us for now. Goodbye. We'll see you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. So uh, welcome to today's super easy Bible quiz. So we've got some Bible questions here um, that you should all be able to answer. Um, so we've got five questions, so hopefully we can get lots of five out of fives with them. So give it a go with these questions um, and we'll, uh, we'll see how we do. Question number one, we're going to start off with a nice easy one. How many Bibles have been sold in total? And we'll do that to the nearest, uh, what do we reckon, the nearest million? That should do. Uh, number two, how many words are there in the Bible? Uh, we're probably looking for the nearest one with that one, I think. Number three, how many languages has the Bible been translated into? Hope you're finding these nice and easy so far. The last two do get harder. Number four, which country is the largest producer of Bibles? And lastly, number five, how much did the largest Bible weigh? So that's in pounds, kilograms, whatever you want. Okay, and the answers uh, and some other info around that. Um, does anyone reckon they got five out of five from those? Um, hopefully we've got a good few who have got five out of five. Uh, at least three, I would imagine, um, to be able to claim some good Bible knowledge. So number one, uh, how many Bibles have been sold in total? Actually, nobody knows for sure, but the estimate is over five trillion. It's a quite a large figure. Um, and uh, they're still looking at selling uh, 100 million Bibles a year. Uh, number two, how many words there in the Bible? Now, of course, this is very uh, this is very dependent on which translation you prefer or which translation you went for. Um, but we're going to go with the King's James with the uh, with the King James version, which has exactly 788,258 words altogether. Did anyone get that? Did anyone get close? Number three, uh, how many languages the Bible will be translated into? Uh, amazingly, the whole Bible has been translated actually into over 700 languages. Um, and there's still over uh, two and a half thousand where there's a partial translation um, uh, of, of work still underway. Uh, number four, which country is the largest producer of Bibles? China. And lastly, how much did the largest Bible weigh? 
So if we're going to go in pounds, uh, the largest bubble actually weighed 1,094 pounds, uh, a whopping half a tonne or 500 kilograms. And interestingly, on the other end of the scale, the smallest Bible can actually fit on top of a pen. So there we go. I hope there was some five out of fives. If anyone got five out of five, mention it in the comments. Um, maybe put some scores if you got three or two. Um, we'll, we'll, see who's the, uh, we'll see who's got the, the highest score of that. But thank you for the Bible quiz. Um, maybe we'll try and do another one next week and try and do a bit more of a harder one as well. Bye. the 1960s I went forward at a Billy Graham rally and they were talking about salvation how people gave their hearts to Jesus it was quite a revelation to me really and so I went forward at this Billy Graham rally and um, there was a I went this man came and he used to send me Bible verses and texts and stuff like that and it didn't really impact my life a lot but I knew that I belonged to Jesus at that point until a about 10 years later, when I was about 26, that I was leading a Methodist prayer meeting for young people. And um, I said, because I thought if I carried on like I was, I was just going to become like a pew warmer and just sit in church the rest of my life. And I thought, I need to know if God is real or not. I, didn't, I knew a lot about him, but I didn't really know him. So I said at that prayer meeting that I was leading, God, if you're real, manifest yourself to me. And it was like a flame went on my head and I felt like Jesus was standing in front of me. And um, from that time forward, my whole life changed. And so I'd been really sort of quite timid before then, but um, I got a, like a boldness and I wasn't frightened of people anymore. And the lady over the road to me, I was putting out the milk bottles the next day and she said to me, what's happened to you? So I said, I met with Jesus last night. And she said, well, she said, you'll soon get over it. So that was like, <laughs> well, it must have been about 46 years ago. So I've never got over it yet. And he completely changed my life and made everything different. And although I've had quite a lot of ups and downs in my life with various things, Jesus has re remained secure for me. And, um, but I think the most amazing thing is that when I surrender to him every day, it's like he comes in afresh and I can really feel his presence. And um, I just feel that God's saying to me, just love as he loves and to do what he tells me to do on a daily basis. It's like no great big thing, but I feel I need to walk with him on an everyday basis and go on with him and try and love people as he would. Although you get it wrong, it's like he always gives you a fresh start every day. Here we go. I'm sure many of you, like me, were taught Bible stories at church, Sunday school, at school. But as we moved into adulthood, we were faced with questions and doubts that those Bible stories couldn't answer and we just couldn't ignore. 
And as we tried to work out how our faith was relevant to our lives, then we walked away. Walked away from our church and walked away from our faith. See, if that's you, or if you're going through that faith crisis at this moment, then this sermon series over the, over the next few weeks is for you. This was the Bible that I was given uh, as a child. It's the Good News Bible and I look at it and it's full of memories. It's full of verses that I wrote down and stuck into the Bible. There's stickers in there. Even if I look towards the back, there is some signatures and comments from a Bible camp I went to in 1993. And if you were given a Bible like me, I'm sure you were told something similar that this is important, this is the Word of God, that this is truth, and that I can find everything I need to know about life in this book. It's an instruction manual for life. But I wouldn't say I actually spent a lot of time reading it. I was told the Bible stories at church in Sunday school, but it was a select bunch. The main highlights, the, the fun and exciting stories. But then when I was in my 20s, I actually sat down and started to read the Bible. And I was going through the Old Testament and suddenly I came across passages that they, they never mentioned in Sunday school. And suddenly I was faced with not only passages I didn't understand, but actions of God that I just didn't agree with. It didn't match up with my morality. It didn't match up with my understanding of life and God's. And perhaps the similar situation happened for you and that's caused you to walk away from your faith. Maybe what was said in here didn't match up with the life that you wanted to live. And maybe those stories that you were taught as a child no longer seemed real and no longer seemed relevant for the life you wanted to live. See, perhaps the problem wasn't so much with the Bible, but it's the problem that you've been taught the stories in the Bible, but not the story of the Bible. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. What is God teaching us, telling us through his word? What is it that he wants us to believe? Not a bunch of stories, but something far more important. So what is the Bible, well, this is my latest purchase. I've got a bit of a thing for Bibles, as you probably imagine, me being a church minister and all, my latest purchase. And the Bible is really, it's a collection of different books all bound in one volume. There's stories, history, poetry, prophecy, laws, letters, all in this book. And the book can really be divided into two halves, not equal in length, but two halves all the same. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was the, the Jewish, is the Jewish scriptures. And the New Testament is full of accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And also letters written by those early followers of Jesus to the early followers of Jesus, the, the first church. But what we have to realise right from the outset is that those Christians, that early church, did not have the Bible. The Bible came 
much later. Yes, they had the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, to which they referred numerous times, but they didn't have the Bible. And the story of the Bible doesn't start at the beginning. Actually, it starts partway through at the beginning of the New Testament. And we're going to look at one particular book, the Gospel according to Luke. And if you want, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 1 with me. Now, we don't know a huge amount about Luke, but it's thought by scholars that Luke was Greek. He was a non-Jew. He was a doctor, so he was well-educated. And his account was probably written about 30 years uh, after the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So still well within living memory. And there were probably still people around who had seen Jesus, had witnessed his life and his miracles. And that's what Luke records in his book. Let's look at the introduction, chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So I think it's really interesting that it says many have undertaken to draw up an account. Historically, that's quite unusual to have one event or one person have numerous different accounts detailing uh, what happens. And that must mean that something extraordinary happened that needed to be written down. Let's continue. Verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the words. So those many accounts have been compiled from the eyewitness statements of people who saw Jesus, who witnessed the miracles, who were there when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So Luke's gone around, he's gone and interviewed people, he's read the accounts, he's heard the stories from those storytellers in the village, those people who had been given the job of remembering the story and the ministry of Jesus. And Luke's gone around and listened to them. And what's he done with them? I too decide to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke's taken all these stories, all these different accounts, and he's put them into a logical, orderly account for a guy called Theophilus. We don't know who that is. Maybe it was a wealthy sponsor who wanted to find out more about Jesus and wanted to have it written down. He'd maybe paid for Luke to do it. We don't know. But verse 4, why, why has Luke done this? Why has he been asked to do this? Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See, Luke wants the readers of this gospel, once they've read of the story and the ministry and the life of Jesus, to have certainty about the things that they have been taught about Jesus. So what was so important that Luke took the time and the energy to interview people and to write and create this account? Well, this account is about a guy called Jesus, a guy who claimed and his followers claimed to be the Messiah. The Messiah was a saviour predicted in the Jewish Old Testament a guy who would come, who would be sent by God to rescue his people. And it 
possibly had, wouldn't have been that unusual in first century Palestine to have maybe a number of people who said they, they were the Messiah, they were the Saviour. And yet for the followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus was someone special. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus had been sent by God. So imagine their disappointment, their shock when Jesus was arrested, Jesus was tried for blasphemy, he was handed over to the Romans and he was executed. Just imagine the sense of devastation they had felt. This guy that they had pinned all their hopes on, now they were hopeless. They were lost. They were devastated. And if the story ended there, then we would have no Christians. We would have no church. We'd have no account from Luke. We'd have no Bible at all. But the story didn't end there. See, Luke's account is actually split into two different books, two different volumes. There's Luke, the stories of Jesus, and then there's Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostle, the Acts of the early church and how it grew and spread. And it says these words in Acts chapter 2. These are words of a guy called Peter, who was a close friend and disciple of Jesus. And he said these words, he preached these words to a bunch of Jewish believers who had gathered at the festival of Pentecost. And he says these words, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. See, Peter is saying that the Jesus who was dead, we saw him alive. We are witnesses to that. He continues in chapter three. His servant Jesus, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. See, what made this account worthwhile? Which, what stopped this story from just ending with Jesus' death? was that Jesus rose again. And what Luke is trying to show in his account, that this isn't just a made up fairy tale, but actually there were numerous witnesses, people who saw Jesus after his death. And remember that Luke's account was written not that long after Jesus's life and death and ministry. And there would have been people there who were, who were the witnesses of Jesus, the risen saviour. Something extraordinary had happened and it was worth writing down. So we have four accounts in the New Testament that speak of Jesus. Four accounts that have lasted the test of time. Matthew, Mark and Luke, they're fairly similar, but John's Gospel, the good news about Jesus according to John, is a little bit different. It's as if John was saying, look, you've read those other accounts and you've heard about Jesus. Well, Let's go a bit deeper. And if we look at John chapter 20, then John explains to his readers the purpose of his gospel, the purpose of him taking his time out to write these words about Jesus. See, chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. 
See, John's saying, look, I've written about many of Jesus' miracles in this book, but, but there are so many more that, you know, I just took a selection because there wouldn't be enough paper to write it all down if otherwise. And these were all done in the presence of his disciples. Now, when John says disciples, he's not referring to just the close 12 that followed Jesus, as, Jesus around. There were hundreds of people who counted themselves as disciples of Jesus. Verse 31. But these are written that you may believe. Well, believe what? What is John wanting you to believe? What is John, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ, who continued to lead and function in the church despite persecution, despite being attacked for his faith, despite the dangers. What is John writing? Now an old man, what is he trying to get you, the reader, to believe? Because remember, John, John wasn't creating the Bible. Luke wasn't creating the Bible. They were just trying to share the extraordinary things that had happened and the life-changing events caused by Jesus. John didn't know whether his book would last until the next day, let alone 2,000 years later. But he wants you to believe something. Well, what is it? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That Saviour promised by God to the Jewish people in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ that to all those non-Jews who placed their hopes in a pantheon of gods, actually Jesus is the son of the most high God. Why? Why does John want you to believe this? Well, he continues in that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this isn't just about believing a bunch of facts, some in, in, an interesting historical event. John is saying that by believing in Jesus Christ, you can have life. In fact, in probably one of the most famous verses in John, if not the whole Bible, John 3 verse 16, he says that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, that by believing in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. You see, the amazing thing about John's account, John's gospel, is, of, is that if John's account was all you had, then John's account is all you would need. That if John's account was all you had, John's account is all you would need. The gospel, the story of the Bible, is contained in these words of John. Unfortunately, we've got the whole Bible and we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. But if you want to truly find out what it is that God wants you to believe, regardless of all those Bible stories that maybe you've enjoyed but struggled with as you've moved into adulthood, if you want to find out what God truly wants you to believe and to know about Jesus Christ, then I just recommend to you that you read John's Gospel. You read John's account of Jesus Christ. Find out who Jesus was and is and what Jesus has done for you. Rather than relying on those accounts told to you numerous years ago, open up your Bible, look at John's Gospel and find out who 
and what God wants you to believe. By doing that, you're not just reading stories in the Bible. You're starting to understand the story of the Bible. The story involves you. Our Heavenly Father, we come together as your people to praise you, to exalt you as the one and only God, the Creator of heaven and earth. It is your breath, your spirit that dwells in us. You created us in your image, after your likeness, and you blessed us. But then we sinned against you, O Lord, and throughout our history we have turned away from you. And yet you loved us so much as to give your own Son to bear our judgment, and for all who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, they enter in your kingdom, not only now on earth, but into eternity. Lord, we cannot fathom such a love. We thank you and we humble ourselves before you for all you have done and continue to do for us. Thank you, O Holy Spirit, that you are here with us, amongst us and within us to lead and guide us every day. Lord, we cry out to you today and we ask for your renewed blessing. We pray for those affected by the coronavirus pandemic, those in our community that have suffered directly of the disease and those that have lost loved ones. May you comfort and strengthen them. We pray for those affected in other ways, whether physically or mentally. We pray for those that have lost their jobs, their businesses, their way of providing for themselves and their loved ones. Lord, help us as your church to brightly shine your light and to support and reach out to those affected. Lord, we pray for all leaders in our community, from our teachers in school to business leaders, our health leaders, council leaders. We pray for wisdom and guidance for the impossible daily decisions 
they have to make. Give them strength to continue, even when they make mistakes. Lord, let your name be exalted in our weakness and our mistakes. Lord, we pray for everyone in our community and in this nation that you may give calmness in the uncertainty and strength to persevere. Lord, you are the one and only God. You are in control. We thank you and we lift you up and praise your name now and forever. Amen. So that brings us to the end of our service. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everybody who has taken part. Your contributions are um, really appreciated. Um, a couple more notices. There's Zoom communion service this evening at 7.30. If you want the joining details for that, just email us at join.in at hawleybaptist.org.uk. And that's for Zoom communion. And there's also Zoom coffee straight after this service. And again, if you want to email for contact details, it'd be great to see some of you um, at coffee. Not if you're watching on Catch Up, we won't be there. I think that's about it. Thank Love, it is. Yeah, and uh, have a good week, everyone. Lots of love and prayers, and take care. Bye. Bye. Oh, and goodbye from Helen and Robin. Uh, and now, of course. Bye. 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 that